0: Welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. So uh, when my family, uh, when I was in like fifth grade, it's the first time my family got cable TV. And I know some of you guys don't even know what cable TV is, but that's okay. Uh, we first got cable TV though, and one of the shows I loved watching even as a young person was The People's Court. Does anyone, has any fans? All right, okay, I know some you like Judge Judy. Not as good, no, I'm just kidding. They're both good. Uh, but I remember really specifically one time I watched this show and um, I was like mesmerized. It's still a very clear memory of experiencing watching this show. I think it was like in fifth grade. But this one time just sticks out to me because I think the strong emotions related to it. Uh, so what happened in this episode is um, this elderly woman came forward and said, um, I'm suing this personal friend. He's a handyman and he said he would help me out and he did all this work and basically it was all garbage. And the whole time she's sharing the story, you know, like he put in this beam above the garage and it rotted within the year. And like, she's just going on all these things that he kind of did halfway and not very well. And the whole time I'm like, this guy is a jerk. I can't believe this. Like I'm just getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And then she shares this whole story. I'm like, okay, this is like not a difficult case, right? Like I could be a judge. And then the defendant comes up he says, "What can I please share my side of the story? And he starts talking and he explains like, hey, I'm a handyman, I'm just not good at very many things. Um, like she said, we are actually personal friends, they went to church together. And he said, um, I was trying to help her out and so I actually donated almost all the hours to this job. I, she didn't pay me for most of it. Um, and for example, that beam above the garage, one, uh, I didn't charge her for the beam, and I told her this is a temporary solution, that I don't have the skills to make a permanent solution, but this will get her by through this year, and then she can save up some money and hire a professional to get it done right. And job after job was like that. And so then I was like, this lady, right? (laughs) What a jerk. And it was one of those times where you could totally see why each of them was mad and angry and bitter at each other. And all of a sudden, I went from I could be a judge to like, wow, I am so glad I am not a judge, um, and I share that story because we've all had experiences like this, right? If you're, if you're a parent, uh, we just did a short road trip yesterday, and uh, you get this all the time as a parent, right? One kid's like, hey, you know, she did this to me, and you're like, what? And then kid's like, like, no, we are playing this game, and she did this to me first, and you're like, oh, wait, what, right? Um, <laughs> where once you hear the other side of the story, you relate a lot more, and it complexifies things, And here's the issue, what I just shared about, you know, the people's court and judging a case. All of us have a view of the world, a perspective, an answer to the big questions of life. Where do we all come from? Why are we here? What's wrong with this world? Why is it the way it is? How do we fix it? How are we supposed to work to make it better? Every single person has answers to those big questions of life. And everyone's view makes perfect sense to them. And all these views are very different from one another. And our answers, the way we see the world, our answers to those big questions determines a lot about us. What we think is fair or unfair. It determines the way we think, the lens through which we view things. It determines the values we hold. For many of us, it determines the way we vote and why we vote and who we vote for and ultimately determines the choices we make, right? Just like in that court case, if you only heard one side of the story, you would be tempted to make one choice. In this series, what I want us to do is to look at the bigger view of what scripture teaches about these big questions of life. And if you consider yourself a Christian and a follower of Jesus, what's gonna happen, I think, is you're gonna realize there are some inconsistencies in your perspective, because I have come to see some inconsistencies in mine. I think all of us will have some inconsistencies, some, some ways where, yes, we're right about that, but that actually, we're wrong about some other things. And the issue is this, if we don't look at things the right way, we won't actually live the right way. And so once again, every single person out there has answers to some big questions. And we're gonna be exploring how different people from different diverse perspectives answer these big questions of life. Where do we we come from, Uh, what's wrong with this world, and how do we fix it? And in coming weeks, we're going to look at um, how a purely naturalistic worldview would answer these questions, or you could say a scientistic, not scientific, but scientism, someone who would say the observable physical universe is all that there is. They have answers to these questions. Or someone who has kind of this uh, spiritual, or maybe you might say new age view, how would they answer these questions? Everything is divine, and the divine is in everything. How would that kind of person answer these questions? Or how about the person who says, sexual repression is terrible, and what we need is sexual liberation, and embracing whatever identity you feel in your heart. How would that person answer these questions? And so we're going to explore. Now, why are we doing this? You might think, like, wow, this sounds really intellectual, Luke, and this sounds like... Uh, yeah, what's the point? Why are we doing this? Uh, we're doing this because of something Paul taught in 2 Corinthians. This is our key verse for this entire series as well as today. Uh, I'm only going to read you part of the verse, and I want you, if you're unfamiliar with this verse especially, to just, like, how would you fill in this blank? Paul writes this. He says, for though we live in the world, he's talking to followers of Jesus. He's talking to Christians. So, so all of us Christians, we live in the world, but we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Sounds like he's saying they're not physical weapons, right? We don't use swords and shields. We use something else. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish... My question is, what would you expect him to say? What do you think he might say? You don't have to answer out loud. I don't want anyone to be embarrassed by yelling out the wrong answer. Somewhat surprising says, we demolish arguments. That's what Paul says. That this kind of spiritual warfare, that's the language Paul uses here. We use this to demolish arguments. Let me um, give you a different translation of the same verses. This is from the New Living Translation. I like the way they translate it. Uh, They say, uh, or how they translate what Paul says is, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. This is what we battle against. False arguments, human reasoning, strongholds of human reasoning. And these are all proud obstacles that keep people from knowing God. Isn't this interesting? So some some big ideas from this text. There is actually a part of our duty. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's partly your duty to do battle against strongholds of false reasoning, systems of wrong thinking, wrong answers to these big questions of life. It's your job in some way to understand them so that when a neighbor or a friend or a relative you love has been in some ways deceived by them, you know how to respond. And you know what's wrong with that way of viewing the world. And so here's the point. Uh, one aspect, actually, of spiritual warfare is destroying strongholds, which Paul defines as false conceptions about the world and the way it works. These are deceptive systems of thinking. And these are one of the things Paul says, keep people from knowing God. And this last point is where I wanna focus on today. In coming weeks, we're gonna look at other answers and views of the world so that we can understand them and so we can love our friends and neighbors who maybe follow them and help them see the error of their thinking. But today, we, won't, we don't wanna start with judging other people. We wanna first look at ourselves and pull out, like Jesus said, the log in your own eye before you try and pull out the splinter from someone else's eye, right? We wanna start with ourselves. Because did you notice this? Paul says, we capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. This is the one piece of these verses that most people are familiar with. Other translations say, we take, uh, I take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. You guys know that verse? If you grew up in church, you probably do. It, being um, someone who went to youth group through high school, I always thought this was about like sexual temptation. Take those thoughts captive, right? Get rid of those bad thoughts. Um, I think that's a fair application of it, but in the context of what Paul's talking about, he's talking about, hey, you Christians are not immune to these false ways of thinking, to these other worldviews, perspectives, answers to the big questions of life. You as well can be deceived by them, and so you need to be on guard, you need to take your thoughts captive, and you need to recognize them and look out for them and be on guard against them and teach every thought to obey Christ. Christians are not immune. We need to stay on guard. And so in this series, um, what are we going to do? We're going to do over the next four weeks, starting today, how we want to better understand our neighbors. We all know that loving someone well begins with understanding them well. If you're married, you know how this works, right? The better, the more you love your spouse, you want to understand them really well. Why why, Why they do what they do. Why they love the things they love. Same thing if you're a parent. Love means doing our best to understand someone really well. Sorry. Oh, by the way, we love having kids in our service, so it's okay. Sometimes kids are loud, and that's okay. We like loud kids too. Sorry. Um, We want to better understand our neighbors to love them well. Uh, We want to be equipped to point people to Jesus more effectively, and we want to root out any false ways of thinking in ourselves. So that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. Now today rather than looking at other worldviews, we're just going to start with the foundation. We're going to lay the foundation of if we were totally consistent in our thinking and we absorbed the truth from Scripture about God and who He is and what He's done for this world, what kind of answers would we have to these big questions? Now, uh, some of you are familiar with this. If you've been coming to Creekside for a while, uh, some of you who are in the youth group, you know this very well, that's okay. I wanna talk about this often enough that you get annoyed with it and sick of it and can say it in your sleep, okay? So um, these, I put three circles up here. These three circles represent three different states of the world, our world and different states it has gone through over time. And these three circles actually represent the major sweeping um, elements or outline of the story of scripture and the story of the good news. So how does Genesis 1 and 2 starts? God creates everything. And what does he say about it? Right? It's good, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. So God made it good. Everything there is was created by a loving creator God. And it's all good. All of it. Including our physical bodies. All of it's good. Then what happened next? Genesis 3, it didn't stay good very long, um, but human disobedience as well as spiritual disobedience led to what we call the fall, where humans disobeyed God. They ate the fruit of the tree God told them not to eat from. And in that moment, everything broke. Adam and Eve turned on one another. They start hiding from God. And when God comes down and he says, this is, this is the consequence of what you've done. Now even the created world is messed up and broken. Right? Now instead of this place of abundance and this beautiful garden. Now you're gonna work by the sweat of your brow. You're gonna have stressful work, Adam. And even then, sometimes you're gonna plant, you're gonna plant seeds and you're gonna harvest thorns. That's the state of the world now, right? God made it good and then we broke it bad. And the good news is that even though it's our fault, the state the world is in, God stepped in through Jesus Christ. And 2,000 years ago, he began his work of redeeming and fixing and healing everything that's broken and messed up, and one day he'll return and finish that work, and in the meantime, he says, you followers of me, I've given you my Holy Spirit, and now together you become my body, the body of Christ. And the world today is his church family continuing Jesus' work in this world. So God made it good, we broke it bad, he's fixing it better. Again, what are the big questions people have? Where do we come from? What's wrong with this world? And how do we fix it? The Christian view says, Where do we come from? God. And humans were originally good. What's wrong with this world? Well, we are. As well as the brokenness and the sin, kind of this disease of sin. And how do we fix it? And Christians have a really interesting multifaceted answer to that last question. How do we fix it? On on the one hand, Christians almost say, well, we can't. God has to. And he started to 2,000 years ago, and he'll finish it. And in the meantime, he is in the process of bringing healing through Christians, doing his work in this world, empowered by his Holy Spirit, not in their own strength, but in his strength. God made it good. We broke it bad. He's fixing it better Creation, fall, redemption are the scriptural answers to this question of this big view of the world. Now, in a moment, I'm going to talk about what this means on a practical level. And again, our goal today is to simply say, if this story is true, then maybe we have some wrong ways of thinking in ourselves, and we want to do our best to get rid of those and root those out first. Uh, before they do that, I just want to talk about this idea of worldview. Um, kids, if you've been zoning out, totally understand, I know I've been talking a lot, uh, but I want to share something with you that might make this make a little more sense, okay? So I have four different things of water up here. This is just um, this is just food coloring and jars of water. And so one of the interesting things is you get to see if I spill food coloring on myself in the next few minutes. Um, okay, so think about it this way. This is you, and this is me. Uh, this is a sponge, you know, if you ever heard people say like kids are like sponges, right? Are you you start hearing them say something, and you're like, where'd you get that from? This happened with me and Janelle. And Janelle's like, you say it all the time. Like, oh, okay. But <laughs> <laughs> kids are like sponges. The truth is we're all like sponges. And when it comes to your answers to these big questions of life, here's the tricky part. We absorb our answers through our life experiences. Here's what I mean. Maybe you grew up in church. Let's say for the sake of this example today, that this clear one is like Christian teaching. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home or went to a youth group or attended church, right? It's like you absorbed some elements of a Christian worldview. That's good. That's great. You read the Bible every day. Good. Great. But the thing is, then you, uh, let's say, uh, went to college and you loved your biology professor, who is a strong atheist. And you absorbed, without realizing it, certain things that they believe over time. And let's say you have some friends who are um, kind of new agey into reading tarot cards and connecting with the divine and everyone, right? And what happens over time is you absorb some of those ideas. And again, this is not your fault, this is just the way we work as humans. We absorb our answers to these big questions of life through not just what we think on purpose, but the relationships we have, the people we respect and look up to, the classes we attend, the movies we watch. And so the last one I would say like, um, and then you, you watch movies, you watch TV shows, you listen to songs. And some of that media or entertainment culture is coming from a different perspective. And over time, you absorb the view of, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that just makes sense. Of course. If I love them, I should just affirm whatever. Right? That they want. And you absorb all these different things. So this is you and this is me. We've all actually absorbed pieces of different worldviews throughout our lives. It doesn't matter how strong of a Christian you are or how long of a Christian you are, you've encountered people with different answers. And so have your friends and neighbors. So we're all this weird mixed sponge who have absorbed these different worldviews. And so what do we need to do? This is the hard part. We need to do this. Wow, that was supposed to be colored. My uh, object lesson failed here. (laughs) All right, we need to do this and um, kind of squeeze out what's inside of us and examine it. And we examine it in light of Scripture, okay? Okay. We say, what about this is right and true, and what about it isn't? So that is what we're doing in this series. And so, yes, it's going to be a little intellectual. I know some of you love that. Some of you don't like that so much. Um, But that's okay. I'm going to do my best to make it clear and simple and give you all the the puzzle pieces to put together as we go. Uh, But we're going to study the worldview of that scientific uh, or scientism worldview that says the physical, natural universe is all that there is. We're going to study and try and seek to understand our friends and neighbors who have the view that's all good, and there's a divine spark in you and in me and in everything and in the grass, and we just need to connect with that, kind of the the pantheistic or panentheistic view. And I'll explain that in a couple weeks (laughs) And this view that's actually everywhere in our culture, and I see it increasingly so, but it's all about, um, well, let's say, I know this is a little bit crass, but the most important thing about you is what's between your legs and what you want to do with that, that that's your identity and your core identity. And the best thing to do is to set you free to do whatever you want with that and in that domain. And so what we're going to do every week, we're going to kind of look at one of these in depth, and the goal is twofold every single week. To first of all, look at ourselves and say, is there any of this that I have absorbed? Not by any fault of your own, but just through life circumstances that you've absorbed that you need to get rid of. And then also to better understand these views so you can better respond to your friends and neighbors who believe them. So let's go back to this. God made it good. We broke it bad. He's fixing it uh, better. And what I want to do for the next couple of minutes is apply this to us and just talk about if this is true, the message of Jesus is true, what does that mean on a practical level? Thank you, Kirk. I left my big, huge uh, paper board at home, so we'll do our best with this whiteboard here. Can at least some of you see this. Most of you. Maybe. This true. What then? And uh, what I'm about to share is actually a little bit of my own testimony, as I grew up in church and going to church. I had one idea of what the gospel meant, and over time that got challenged and then re-challenged and challenged again. And so, um, quite simply, what is the gospel message? By the way, I'm not an artist. That's a crown, okay? Quite simply, the gospel message is Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the rightful ruler of this world. Now, when I was very young, um, I actually gave my life to Jesus at the end of a Christian sing-along tape. Uh, My parents had a bunch of Christian sing-along tapes, and at the end of one of them, they said, if you've never invited Jesus into your heart, then you don't have a relationship with him. And if you want to do that, just say this prayer. And I was like, I've never done this before. And so as a little five-year-old, I prayed along with this voice on this tape, and when I finished praying that prayer, my heart felt warm. Like, I knew internally as a five-year-old, like, Jesus is with me now. My understanding, and partly it was because this is the way it was explained in kid terms, which is good to explain things in kid terms. But if you'd ask me, like, what is Jesus king of? I would say, wow, someone should fire me. (laughs) Let me try again. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) How does that Jesus is king of my heart? I invited him into my heart, right? And so he has the say-so and his rightful domain is to rule my heart. And what that meant on a practical level to me at that time is Sundays are Jesus' heart day, right? (laughs) Jesus is king of my heart means I go to church on Sunday and I learn about the Bible and Jesus wants to like kind of clean up my heart and have a relationship with me. Now those things are true, but it's bigger than that, isn't it? And when I went to high school, uh, my family moved and I was a part of a really, really great youth group. And very quickly over the next few years of going to that youth group and studying scripture more in depth, I realized, wow, I have been a Sunday Christian, if you're familiar with that term, where my Christian faith has only impacted how I behave and live on Sundays. And really, Jesus wants all of me. And so I changed. And I realized following Jesus is about my whole life. That Jesus is not just Lord of my heart, he's Lord of my life. I realized that has something to do with how I take chemistry and the friends I make at school just as much as how I live on Sunday. And my life became less compartmentalized, less segmented off, as I realized increasingly so, you know, following Jesus is about all of my life and not just what happens on Sunday. And maybe today some of you need to learn this and internalize this, that Jesus is, is king, not just of your heart, but your entire life. That the way you parent, or do business, what you watch, how you speak, has to do with all of that. And then later on, and uh, this, I don't even know when I clarified this answer, but especially when I did my undergraduate degree in college, I was challenged once again. That definition of what Jesus' lordship means was... Challenged, And I really started to understand this increasingly so in that last circle. And I finally came to a point where I realized that when Peter confessed, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and Jesus said, yes, you have got it. Peter was not just saying, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you with my life. Peter was saying, Jesus, you are the rightful king of this entire world. And that Jesus going to the cross was about the fixing and the healing of that. Not just all the individuals within the world, but the entire world. Um that's a continent. Okay, I'm gonna stop there. <laughs> because you get what I mean. Here's the truth. If this is true, then Jesus is king not just of my heart and not just of my life, Jesus is king of the world and all the world owes him allegiance, whether it realizes it or not. And everything is coming and has come under his dominion. What does that mean? If this story is true, that God made it good, we broke it bad, he's fixing it better. If that story is true, Jesus is king of the whole world, then we should expect to find both beauty and brokenness everywhere. Because what did God make good? everything. We should expect to find beauty everywhere we look. And simultaneously, what did the fall affect? Everything. We should expect to find brokenness everywhere as well. And so this can clear up your confusion in a big way, right? If you come to church and you're like, Luke, your life's not perfect. What's going on? We should expect to find both beauty and brokenness everywhere, including inside the four walls of the church and your connection group both beauty and brokenness, and the world and our friends, people we meet, and in creation, and the mountains, the lakes, beauty and brokenness everywhere. This is kind of a corollary truth. If this is true, then there's no little neat line you can draw and say, this is sacred or holy, and this is secular and not holy. Jesus is the rightful king of the world and he came through his cross and life and death and resurrection to bring healing to all of it, then there is no domain over which he is not Lord and the rightful king. There is real, no, true, sacred and secular that are divided apart from each other. Uh, a missiologist, a, a missionary who then began to study culture and how that interacts with the gospel, this is what Leslie Newbigin wrote. He said, the sharp line which modern Western culture has drawn between religious affairs and secular affairs is itself one of the most significant peculiarities of our culture and would be incomprehensible to the vast majority of people. In other words, what is he saying? We have this like very neat, oh, that's secular music. That's Christian music. My friends, there is some Christian music that has really bad theology. And there is some secular music that has really beautiful truth. And this tendency to try and draw neat lines between what's sacred or holy and what's secular or not is actually the influence of a different worldview that we've absorbed without even realizing it. And finally, and relatedly, if all of this is true, then Christianity is not a personal private hobby. This is the way our culture tries to tell us how religion works. Most of the time, I'm going to be honest, when you say to your friend or neighbor, hey, do you want to come to church with me? They put it in the same category of thought as, do you like riding horses? Right? <laughs> nice. I love it. <laughs> they put it in that same category, though, um, where it's like, uh, no, I don't want to ride horses. That's not my, that's not my thing. Right? I don't want a church. That's not my thing. That's not, that's not the kind of hobby I like to have. Right. One of the influences of our culture causes people to put Christianity into this box of a personal private hobby, hobby. If this is true, then it's bigger than all those boxes. It's a public truth and it has worldwide implications. And so here is my encouragement Today, let's do what Paul encourages and challenges us to do. Let me read this passage one more time to us. Second Corinthians 103 through5. "For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the delim- demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Here's my encouragement today. If you're here and you consider yourself a father of Jesus, this is an invitation to begin to take every thought captive, to begin squeezing out, to examine the view of the world, your big answers to these big questions of life, and compare them with what Scripture teaches and if there's conflict there, to go with what Jesus says. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. And I hope today was really enlightening to you because we went over this big picture story of what the good news of Jesus is about, and what he came to do. He came to bring healing to you. And all of us here, no matter how nicely dressed we are or how big of a smile we can put on are messed up, broken people. And were it not for Jesus, we would be so much worse than we are. And it's a beautiful truth that God wants to do for you what he's doing for this whole world. He wants to take what's broken in you and fix it and heal it and restore it And then he wants to, in turn, send you out to continue his work in the world. That's the invitation for all of us. And I want to invite you to consider that invitation. So in a moment, uh, we're going to respond in song. In fact, worship team, you can come on back up. We're going to close with a celebration that Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, paid it all. He paid it all. He paid for my wrongdoing and your wrongdoing, he paid for the evil and the brokenness in the whole world to fix it and to restore it and redeem it. It's like this amazing huge gift and all you have to do is say, yes, God, I want to receive that gift. There's also an invitation for those of us who maybe you've thought of this as Jesus king of my heart or just my life before. Think of this as a, as a moment to offer your public allegiance to Jesus as the Lord and King of the whole world because that's what he is, whether we realize it or not. So let's pray together and then stand together and respond together. Jesus, I thank you that when we were your enemies, you came for us to save us. When this entire world was set against you, you poured out your life. You gave your life to save us. God, would you help each of us Examine our own ways of thinking today and over the next few weeks. Holy Spirit, would you help each of us to examine our thoughts, the patterns of our thinking, and help us to begin to identify those ways in which we are not actually getting this right or we need your correction. And help us to be quick to recognize that, quick to turn away from it, and quick to embrace your truth. And if there's anyone here, God, today who is not a follower of you, has not given themselves to you, would your Holy Spirit draw them in this moment? And if that is you, would you just, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus as Lord, would you pray a simple prayer after me? In your heart right now, would you say something like this? God, I'm sorry for turning away from you. Forgive me. I recognize that you are the Lord of all. I turn away from my past life and from going my own way. Would you forgive me and would you heal me, make me new through the work of your son, Jesus Christ? Amen. And if you did pray that today, welcome to the family. I'm so glad Uh, we'd love to celebrate with you. So if you'd let me know, that would be wonderful. For all of us, let's celebrate our King Jesus who paid it all for you and for you and for you and for me and for this entire world.